0: Hey everybody, it's Kenya, and this is the Thank You For Saying No podcast, where we find meaning in life's unexpected turns. Jay August Richards, welcome to the Thank You For Saying No podcast.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm thank so Thank you for excited. saying yes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that was good.
1: <laughs> if I would have said no, would you have said thank you for saying no? Mmm.
0: We would have got you to say yes. Nice. I would have been in it for the long haul. Okay, fantastic. <laughs> yes. You're one of those guests I knew we we had to get on the show. Yeah. So.
1: Yeah, when we met, we clicked. We did. And I was like, and I when I heard what it was about,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I was like, that's deep. I want to talk about that.
0: Yeah. So you guys are in for a really inspiring episode today. Um, You might recognize Jay from his roles with Angel, and one of my personal favorites, Agents of (laughs) Um, S.H.I.E.L.D., Girlfriend's Guide to Divorce, The Cosby Show, and many more. And he's an incredible actor, and on top of that, he has a lot of wisdom that he's going to share with us today. And I'm just really excited that you're here. Thank
1: you. Thanks again for having me.
0: Yeah. So today I want to talk about some of your no moments, Mm. the lessons that you learned and the meaning you found in life's unexpected turns. Okay. And I want to start with your first role. And when I heard you speak for the first time and you shared the story of how you got on The Cosby Show, <laughs> I just think it's such an inspiring story because it's a testament to how it seems like how no's fueled you mm. and how you didn't let that stop you from pursuing a dream at such a young age. Right. So can you tell us about that story?
1: And interestingly, there was a no at the end of it. Um, and really, I see that story as, um, you know, childhood wonder and exploration. So basically, I knew that I wanted to be an actor since birth. Mm-hmm. Ever since I saw a TV, I wanted to crawl inside of it. Yeah. I didn't know how to do it, but I thought that's how you did it. <laughs> so... They opened up a visual and performing arts high school in my neighborhood. My uncle went and slept overnight with me uh, to get in because there was a very long list of people who wanted to get in. And where did you grow up? Where are you? Uh, I grew up in Bladensburg, Maryland. And so... uh, when I went to school there, when I grew up there, the schools were all being desegregated every year that I started mm. a new school. And it was what they called de facto segregation, meaning that this part of town was Black, that part of town was White, and people just went to the schools that they went to. But every year when I entered a new grade, Mm -hmm. um, they would bus kids really from the white neighborhood where I lived, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is ironic, to the inner city neighborhood to go to school. So in order to make it attractive, they made the schools have a program. So this one had a visual and performing arts program. So at that time when I knew I wanted to be an actor, at the same time, this show called The Cosby Show came on the air. And I was like, (laughs) I look like somebody who should be on The Cosby Show. I'm going to be on The Cosby Show. So I read the credits. I figured that at the end of all of those shows, when they ran those dances. I I guessed those must be the people who have something to do with it. So I read all the names Mm -hmm. and then there was something called a casting director. And I was like, that sounds like the person that might be in charge of the actors. So I called information, Mm -hmm. which at that time was, you could dial 411 if you needed a local number. But if you wanted a number from another state, you had to dial Mm 555-1212. But plus the area code of the city, you wanted the phone number. So New York was 212. Mm -hmm. I dialed 212-555-1212. Asked for the phone number for the casting director. His name was Barry Moss. Got his phone number, called his office. The receptionist answered the phone. I said, hi, my name is Jamie Richards. I want to be on The Cosby Show. That was the name I went by back then. Mm -hmm. And um, she said, kid, that is not how this works. Like, (laughs) Mm -hmm. figure it out. hung up on me. Called back, hi, my name is Jamie Richards. And I used to always ask to speak to Barry Moss first. (laughs) And then they'd say, what is this in regards to? And I'd say, my name is Jamie Richards. I want to be on The Cosby Show. So finally, one day, he answered the phone. And I told him I wanted to be on the Cosby show. And he was like, do you have an agent? And I was like, no. He was like, do you have a manager? I was like, no, what's that? Mm-hmm. And he goes, Oh, kids, you don't know anything. <laughs> I'm going to be talking at an acting camp. Come up here and you'll learn everything you need to know about the business. It was 700 bucks. Got the 700 bucks from my mom. Went to the acting camp. He showed up. He asked if anybody wanted to read for him. I raised my hand. He called me up. I read for him. He said, if you're ever in New York, give me a call. So the camp was over on Sunday. We went back to Maryland. On Monday, I flew to New York.
0: Mm -hmm. I
1: showed up at his front door. I knocked on the door. And I said, you said if I was ever in New York. I'm here. And he said, (laughs) I didn't mean come to New York. And he goes, but we do just so happen to be casting the role of Vanessa's boyfriend. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'll read. So I read. He said, can you come back at three? I did. I got the part. It went great. Um, I was kind of a local celebrity at the time. And... um, Things were going really well. And I was wondering if I was going to get called back to mm-hmm. play the role and weeks were passing and I never was. And then one day I read the TV guide and it said, Vanessa's boyfriend, John, or mm-hmm. whatever. It wasn't my character's name, who was Roy. Yeah, uh, Vanessa's boyfriend and her get into a problem. And in that moment, I knew that. I wasn't going to be on the Cosby show anymore. And it was devastating. Yeah. It was such an early rejection, you know?
0: Yeah. Um, How old were you? I
1: was 14. Yeah. And um, I, you know, I didn't know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. You know, it really hurt my feelings. I told my mom and she said, you know, but no one can ever take that from you. You, No one will ever be able to take that from you. And I just remember thinking, well, I'm still going to be an actor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll just have to get better
0: yeah.
1: and I'll just have to learn what I'm doing. So I enrolled in USC to study theater and that was the beginning of my trajectory
0: (laughs) so i love that story and i i picture it in my head as you're saying it i I seriously feel like you should make a movie that would be a great first scene Uh, for movie. it's like you're like scrambling and running everywhere and then you get on and then the movie starts
1: right that would be cool yeah yes
0: but that it's such a testament to to you and your efforts and your drive and your passion for what you wanted to do Thank you. and that no like not getting called back how it's changed your life after and it feels like it set the tone for you and just kind of foreshadowing here but knowing your wisdom and Mm -hmm. all that you've learned from your your life experience like it it seems like a good first start
1: it was it was it was a high high Mm -hmm. and a pretty low low yeah Fortunately, no one in my town really understood the industry. So no one really kind of held it against me. Everybody was just so proud of me. But uh, I knew that that was the beginning of my career. And I knew that, you know, I would go on to do other things. And my dream was always to see my name at the beginning of Mm. the opening credits of a TV show. That was all I really ever wanted. And when I achieved that. It was kind of a a golden moment for me, and that's a lot of why I wrote the course that I wrote that you met me talking about Mm -hmm. being a series regular, because that was my dream, was to be a series regular on a television show.
0: And maybe we should talk about your course now, because this is a great segue for it. Sure. So did your course, is it kind of the culmination of your life lessons and like knows in the industry and you're teaching people how... Like what kind of what you learned.
1: It is. I almost call it a tell all course Mm -hmm. because I am pulling back the curtain on my own career on being a series regular seven times of doing 250 hours of television. I'm pulling back the curtain on how I did it. I'm showing you the good, the bad, the ugly, the things that I got right, the things that I got wrong in the hopes of teaching you what this position of being a series regular is because It's very, um, it's very, it can fool you because Mm -hmm. it's a lot of fun and it's very prestigious, but there's so much that goes into it, so much work that is kind of um, unspoken. Mm -hmm. And people don't tell you what those duties are. And I've seen people get these golden opportunities and then blow it Mm -hmm. because they didn't understand the totality of the position. So Mm -hmm. that's what I wanted to do with my course. I also feel like if you know a job, if you know what a job is, then you know how to prepare for it and you know what is being asked of you. So when you go to an audition, you are presenting these things that they are looking for, but they're not going to tell you specifically what it is that they're looking for.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So this reminds me of my first case that I was telling you about that oh, I did. yeah. With just recently. Yes. I was in trial for over the span of three weeks, but one day a week. Mm. So it, it dragged on because you're preparing, you know, the whole time. And... Every day that I went into court, Mm -hmm. I have a list of questions I think the judge is going to ask, and answers to every single question. Yeah. I have a list of questions I think opposing counsel is going to bring up, and an answer to every single question. Right. And I have the entire record in front of me for the whole case. Wow. So I have, this particular record was like 35 pounds, but I think it was like five binders. Oh, wow. Like almost 10,000 pages, maybe more. (laughs) Yeah. But so what you're saying kind of reminds me of how I prepare for court. Like mm. you you have every answer. You're ready for anything. And mm. I will say when I went into court, there was not one question that stumped me. But that nice. that's just a testament to how, how
1: prepared you were. Yeah. dough mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So I get that. And that's yeah. really important information to have when you're walking into a room full of people who are judging
1: you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and it's not that they're judging you. They are... Waiting to collaborate with you.
0: That's okay. they, they want I like a
1: collaborator. That. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they want someone with a strong point of view. Someone who is. You know, who knows who they are mm-hmm. and and brings that to the character in a in a in an effortless way. It doesn't have to be effortless, but that brings it to the character. Mm-hmm. and they show up fully as themselves in the character, use themselves and their quirks and their mm-hmm. idiosyncrasies, their history. And the, you know, a full human being has come now and embodied this skeleton of a character that exists in the script, yeah. and they're looking for someone that they can that you can bring ideas and then they can give you ideas and we're working on it together Mm -hmm. to hopefully create a character that feels like someone we know when we're watching TV. Because I think that that's the ultimate goal of what you want as an actor on TV. These indelible characters, you know, George Jefferson, um, um, Chrissy Snow. Jack Tripper, um, these might be all characters before your time. <laughs> um, Carrie Bradshaw, yeah, these are characters that we feel like we know. They become a part of our lives because they feel so real to mm-hmm. us, and that's what you're striving for in television.
0: When you, you, when you're bringing like your like kind of life experiences to a character or your quirks to a character, yeah. are there certain parts of you that you tried to hide, maybe, but later learned that those parts or qualities are actually what set you apart in like a positive and successful way to bring to your character.
1: The wonderful acting teacher Diana Castle says that thing you're trying to hide is someone else's interesting choice. Mm. See, we all try to hide things. We all There are things that we all find unacceptable about ourselves, mm-hmm. which I think Carl Jung calls the shadow. Mm-hmm. And that is the richest playground for you as an actor. It's what we spend all day avoiding. But then when it comes to the work, that's what excites me about the work is when I get a new piece of material and I get to really pick into myself and say, what makes me feel like this scene makes me feel like what really makes me feel that way. In an acting class, I discovered that gaslighting puts me... When someone looks me in the eye and lies to me, that's fine, but what will infuriate me is if you're lying to me and you know you're lying and I know you're lying. Mm. That takes me to a place that I don't... I'm not comfortable with in everyday life, that I don't walk down the street feeling. but. When I need to go somewhere extra, I think about those moments in my life when somebody has tried to gaslight me, essentially. That infuriates me. It does more than infuriates me. It it brings out this need for justice. Mm-hmm. And so I've played a lot of lawyers and I've tapped into that piece of myself for those characters. Because when I'm playing a lawyer, oh my God, that's funny. I'm sitting across from a lawyer. That would be so dope for me to talk to you the next time I'm playing a lawyer. Yeah, you should. But for me, when I'm playing a lawyer, I try to, and it depends on the case and the character and the kind of lawyer. I play prosecutors, I play defense attorneys. Normally when I'm playing a prosecutor, I try to tap into that part of myself that needs justice. That feels like they've been personally robbed of justice. And so if I can win this case, then I can find a little more justice for myself. Yeah, Those are the type of choices that I talk about in my course that I think people should make when they're trying to, uh, when they're auditioning for the role of a series regular.
0: Yeah, so yeah. it's so interesting to hear you talk about your, your reflection on how you feel like a lawyer would feel and act because mm. I'm still kind of processing all the feelings from the trial I've been mm, in. I bet. Cause trial is very crazy. It's, I'm it's sure. an emotional roller coaster on top of being like a mental, sure. it's just all of it. And so the one thing I wasn't prepared for mm-hmm. about court and, and being in like a trial advocacy setting is how angry I got when opposing counsel twisted facts or said them in a way that wasn't correct to make her side look better. And that's what opposing counsel does. Isn't that
1: kind of just what I was talking that's about? That's exactly about what you said. telling a lie yes. right to your mm-hmm. face? Yeah.
0: That was the only thing I wasn't ready for and we did court over Zoom because we live in a Zoom world now. But oh, wow. I noticed my cheeks got red like with fury. That was I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't expecting wow. to get so angry and so wow. I'm grateful we had like it over the span of three weeks because I spent the whole week preparing for my rebuttal and bringing justice <laughs> to this case and like wow. Making the facts make sense again and untwisting and untangling. And I, and I, exactly what you just presented is mm. how I felt and what I went through.
1: How did it make you feel when your cheeks turned red?
0: I was like not expecting to be that emotional about the case.
1: So, that choice, if I were an actor and I was playing you in that moment, mm-hmm. that would be a very interesting choice. Most actors might just choose to play. You know, I'm trying to prove my point. I'm trying to prove my point. But we call that enacting an obstacle. If you start to feel something, it's an internal obstacle. Mm -hmm. If you start to feel something that you don't feel like is appropriate in this moment, imagine how compelling that would be for an audience to watch you, somebody that hopefully we're rooting for, get in a situation where there's something that you're feeling that you feel like is working against you winning the case. Mm -hmm. These are the kind of interesting choices we try to bring to a series regular role. Now, if you're a guest star and you're playing the prosecutor or the other side, you know. Those choices might be compelling and wonderful, yeah. but we don't require them as much as we do from a series regular. That makes sense. Though. Yeah. Because, yeah. Cause yeah. It, yes. Because yeah. the other oppos- opposing counsel is presumably my foil, mm-hmm. and therefore we want to go on the emotional journey with me yeah. as the series regular. So, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Yeah, and as the series regular in my own little show here, yes, I it was a what do they vir- call
1: what do the young people call you? The main character
0: energy, it's <laughs> yes, my character yes. energy. I like series regular better, <laughs> I like that too, yes. <laughs> but it was, it was like a conquest. Like after I finished the case and I gave my rebuttal and I really felt like I brought justice to the case and yeah. said my piece, yeah, it was, uh, it was like a triumph, it was like nice. I conquered it. So it's, it's wow. interesting if I, if I think about the whole three weeks of the trial. I mean, I've been preparing it for years, but the mm-hmm. whole three weeks of like Showtime, that's just, it was a journey.
1: You know what's interesting about that too is that when you're acting, you're constantly looking for victories that mm-hmm. your character wins throughout the course of the script. Little ones, big ones. Yeah. And you're constantly trying to work toward those victories. So it sounds like sometimes you would present, a, present an argument mm-hmm and feel like you won in that moment, those are things that we also look for in acting as well.
0: Okay. Yeah. Wow, there's so many similarities between our- So many,
1: (laughs) so many.
0: Have you had any roles that helped you grow as a person? All of them. Can you give us a few examples?
1: Ooh, that is a great, great, great question. Well, Council of Dads comes to mind. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as well. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. because- Prior to booking that role, I hadn't worked significantly for about three years. Mm. I was going out on a lot of auditions and I wasn't booking anything. Um, I may have told the story the day we met, but um, I was kind of stuck in this little bit of a no man's land where I still looked super young, but the casting directors and everybody knew how old I was. Mm. And I was going in for roles that I was age appropriate for, but I just didn't look part, And in the middle of one audition even, a casting director stopped me and said, you know, I'm just gonna stop you, you're a great actor, but I just don't believe you'd have a nine-year-old. And um, that was particularly devastating, especially when I wasn't working, you know? But midway through uh, that three-year period of unemployment, I was working on an audition in my bedroom, and I was working so hard on it. And when I get obsessed with an audition, I'm like in the minutiae of the role, like mm-hmm. moments like what you're talking about. I'm like, oh, I wonder if this embarrasses me. Okay, well, how can I hide it? And what is, how does this person factor into what I want? And I start to feel like this scientist. And then <laughs> suddenly in that moment, it hit me that I probably hadn't worked in two years and I was still attacking my work with a ferocity of when I first started. And I had suffered so many blows in that period, so many no's. Mm -hmm. And I remember it was right before the audition and I just stopped. And I kind of fell in love with myself that day. Mm. Because I was like, most people would have quit by now. But I am still approaching it with the enthusiasm, you know, that I did when I first started. So I went for the role. I didn't get it. And then a few months later, I had the audition for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And it was to play this single father who is down on his luck, out of money, hurt his back so he can't work. His wife left him and he's raising this little boy. And uh, from what I gathered from the script, his whole world was falling apart. And he was at the end of his rope and he thought he was going to die. And right before he dies or he thinks he's going to die, he says, I could be, you know, a hero. Oh, man. And when I read the script for the first time, I thought about that day in my bedroom, working on the script. And I knew what Mike Peterson meant by that. He meant that, you know, it might seem like I've lost everything, but I still believe in myself. And so I even have chills just I'm talking crying, about so. it. <laughs> and So when, when, uh, I realized that I was so personally connected to it because I almost didn't care whether I got the part or not. I just wanted to deliver that line right. And I went in for it, came home that night. Mind you, again, I hadn't worked in three years. I did two guest spots in three years. And uh, my manager called me that night and said, Hey, uh they're interested in you for the part. They're thinking, you know, it's between you and somebody else or something. They said don't cut your hair and don't shave. I was like, "Oh my god, that's great." Mm-hmm. Woke up the next morning, my phone was ringing off the hook. I got the part. I didn't realize what a big deal it was. Uh they asked me to come in meet with Joss, who was my former boss for Angel, and um he wanted to talk about the role. I went in, we hugged, so happy about it. And uh he said, "Yeah, man, you know, we were on a location scout. The the email came in about your tape. Um, we looked at, everybody was sitting in the car. And when you said I could be, you know, a hero, we all cried. I'm still crying. <laughs> he said, we all cried. <laughs> and uh, you can't, I mean, he was like, and I was looking at it on this. Yeah. And you made me cry. Yeah. And um, so that role changed me in the sense of I started to understand my own... And I believe that the universe that God put me through that three years of unemployment to introduce me to myself again. Mm -hmm. Because from the time I was on Angel till that moment of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I really hadn't stopped working. And so I think I began to transfer my self-esteem to the external circumstances of my life. The things that I used to um, celebrate about myself and say, this is what Makes me special. These internal things. I began to go, no, it's the fact that I'm on TV that I'm special. No, it's the Mm -hmm. fact that I drive this fancy car that I'm special. No, it's the fact that I've got all this money that I'm special. And God had to kind of strip those things back. And I remembered in those three years, I remember hearing this question in my head that said, without all these things, how do you walk down the street with your head held high? And that started a process for me where I started doing something called the Self-Esteem Journal. And I started to write down all the things that I loved about myself. Mm -hmm. And um, toward the end of that is when I booked Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Wow. Yeah.
0: So it's so crazy how your personal journey and your career journey, how they kind of coincide. And you, it's like that's a movie in Mm -hmm. itself too. With like the main characters finding herself, working (laughs) through his trauma. And then- shines in in this career-making moment, Mm, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. I feel that way. And I feel that my career, and I think most people's careers and their journey in the arts is never really about fame and fortune. I think it's about coming to some deep personal truths about yourself and about the world. And if that is the prize in all of this, I'll take it.
0: Yeah, it it makes me think, because... I think I got so emotional when I gave my rebuttal. Really?
1: <laughs> wow. Like I
0: wasn't crying through it. Yeah. But, but I was. I felt emotional giving it. Wow. And it was because in my in my real life, it was like I finally get this moment to speak my voice and speak my truth, and it was, <sighs> and I haven't always had this opportunity in my personal relations, <sighs> and so this moment of being able to to tie the dots and and connect the facts and really speak the truth was overwhelming for me and and to have like a judge who's you know seeking justice which we also don't always get in our personal life right so It was a very emotional moment for me and I cried very hard
1: after. So you just gave an entire acting lesson (laughs) right there because it wasn't about the case. Although the case was deeply important to Mm -hmm. you, your client, I'm sure, is like so important to you, their sense of justice. Yeah. But really you were fighting for your own personal reasons Yeah. and you sort of connected your need for justice Mm -hmm. with this case. And that's all that my course, Being a Series Regular, is about when it comes to the work of being a series regular. Connecting your own things, your own unfinished Mm -hmm. things, your own bruises, your own disappointments, your own joy, your own love, your own response to everything to this character, no matter how fantastical yeah. vampires, superheroes, no lawyer, whatever it is, connecting it to that. Mm-hmm. And that's what the work, that's what is being asked of you. Yeah. yeah. And
0: that's heavy. That's it a is lot. heavy, but you just <laughs> described it yes. perfectly. Yeah. And, and thinking of it as a triumph is like, in certain in certain relationships within my personal life I don't I don't and I probably will never get the opportunity right. that I got in court but to know that I could do it yeah if it came was like the triumphant part of it
1: amazing wow <laughs> that's <is> so cool <laughs>
0: it's
1: all connected baby it is all connected all connected
0: i want to talk about some of the no's in the mm-hmm. industry and and you say you or just the entertainment industry in general has a lot of knows how it does. Do you navigate the nose? How do you use them? like how do you balance letting them fuel you? Yeah, and also just kind of letting them go?
1: Yeah, that's a great, great question. For me, and I talk about this a lot in the course as well, in between jobs, when mm-hmm. I'm not working, I take that as an opportunity to find something new about myself to hopefully mm-hmm. present to the camera the next time I'm in front of it. For me, working on this course is really about me exploring a new part of myself. My mother was an educator, my grandmother was an educator. One time I was teaching my niece how to play Sudoku and she when she was 6 and she looked up at me she said, "You should have been a teacher." And so, I know that there's this part of me but I'd never explored it and so I'm exploring it now. So, If I get the role of a professor or a judge or a teacher or somebody with an authority figure, this is a new energy for me Mm -hmm. that I'm finding um, within myself. So so for me, the season of no, which is what I would call the time when I'm not working, I just refocus and rechannel my direction. I go, okay, I'm being... I'm in the garden right now, and I'm tilling and I'm hoeing—not yeah. that way—but I'm tilling and I'm hoeing and I'm growing and I'm yeah. planting and I'm watching things bloom and I'm watering different parts of myself in different relationships and different, you know, opportunities and um, and so I'm turning that season into something that is fruitful, mm-hmm. hopefully. But it wasn't always that way in my early days. Those no's were like an opportunistic disease. They would just. Run me ragged, you know. I would be looking for that yes mm-hmm. in all the wrong places, gambling. Mm-hmm. Um, but listen, not too bad because I I love my money and I love I love financial. Um, I love being smart about money. Yeah. But I did find myself going to the casino, mm-hmm. you know, five nights a week uh, down there at uh, by the airport, the Hustler Casino. I would never buy in for more than three hundred, but still, sometimes I win, sometimes I'd lose, but. I would be looking for that yes in all the wrong places. And I see a lot of people do it in relationships, um, drugs and alcohol, dating, Mm -hmm. you know, so.
0: Yeah, it comes up. But you found, so how did you kind of flip the script on on the nose? Like, how did you Hmm. take us through that journey?
1: So I think that after a while, I started to see a pattern in how my life was going and that it was like, oh yeah, in between jobs, I'm searching myself and my life for new things, trying to understand myself on a deeper level. And then when I get that job, I'm trying to present that part of myself or trying to connect the dots. Because I I believe that the roles cast me. I believe that the roles themselves choose me and I'm the right person that that role wants to bring it to life. So when I do something like a council of dads, when I had kind of been getting to a place of... um, of acceptance of my sexuality, then the, here comes this role mm. of this married gay father um, who is being asked to parent his best friend's children because her husband dies. And I thought, oh, Oliver chose me because we're so much alike. And I was like, then when I started playing it, I realized, no, he chose me to show me the way. He was so much further wow. along than I was. And so he brought me out, mm. you know, playing him brought me out of the closet. You know, I mean, was I in the closet? I was in the closet professionally, Mm -hmm. for sure. In my personal life, not so much. But, you know, you can do this dance in life and in Hollywood where you aren't saying yes and you aren't saying no. And at a certain point, people stop asking because they just assume, you know, it's what they think it is. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, that was another another example of a role that transformed my life in a lot of ways. Wow. Yeah.
0: So this character was ahead of you in his journey coming out and you were playing him. Yes. And it kind of was a... a catalyst yes. for you and your own because
1: i had never been out with the people that i work with in terms of yeah. in, in terms of acting mm-hmm. because you know obviously as a gay actor you have concerns and then especially as a black gay actor mm-hmm. you're like i'm already dealing with this many opportunities if i announce that i'm gay does that mean i'm going to segue myself down to this many opportunities mm-hmm. and that's the constant fear but i had to realize t- a couple of things um, number one, I trust my ability. I trust my skill. I, I know that, you know, I know who I am as an artist and I know that I can play any role. Yeah, That's just on everything. That's just mm. what it is. Then the other thing is, I had to realize that there was a small part of me that felt like, well, if I do get typecast from here on out, if I only play gay characters, then somehow I've lost. But that's internalized homophobia mm. because Why should, if I played gay characters for the rest of my life, why would that be any different than what Tom Cruise does or what Will Smith does? They're playing straight characters their whole lives. There is this feeling that somehow if you're gay and you're playing gay characters, there's something has gone horribly wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, But I just don't see things that way. So I just trust the universe. I trust myself. And um I'm just so much happier. I mean, I've also come to realize that the only reason you come out is for your own personal happiness. Forget everything else. You know, I came out. I met my husband. I'm married. I sit on my couch sometimes watching Kardashians, a show I've never watched in my entire (laughs) life with him because he loves that show. And I've never been happier. And if that was the only reason, then it was worth it.
0: Mm. Mm, That really truly fills my heart. We had this episode with Tony, Mor- Tony Morrison where he disclosed his HIV status publicly. Ooh, oh, Wow. And he Good talks for him. about yeah, a beautiful wow. beautiful story. Wow. Um episode 2 season season 2 for those. I have I'll check it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You should. But he talks about being free in every single space that he's in. And that feeling of freedom in a boardroom, in on a date, with your friends, like freedom everywhere. Amen. So, and that is just a feeling I think we should all aspire to because that is that's freedom. And
1: I knew that I couldn't <laughs> play this character on Council of Dads with, you know, feeling like I had to personally hide. Yeah. You know, I knew that I I wasn't gonna be able to fully creatively own the character which is what I talk about in the course the job of a series regular I'm sorry the work of a series regular is to take creative ownership of the character they've been hired to play and collaborate with all of the other departments on the production to co-create the role I wouldn't be a collaborator or a co-creator if I was like well I've heard that (laughs) gay men do this that and the third no I needed to come to work and be like okay I love this part but as a Black gay man, I feel more like it should be like this. Mm-hmm. And this is what I want on the walls. And this is the clothes I want to wear. I want to wear Jordans. I want to stomp through the hospital in a, in a doctor's outfit and Jordans. Yeah, That wasn't my idea. That was the costume designer's idea, um, Ayana Floyd. Um, but <laughs> because I was showing up fully, mm-hmm. we could all play and really build this character and make it something beautiful. And it yeah. was.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> How... How have the challenges you face evolved since the beginning of your career?
1: Man, that's a really good question. Well, they've evolved because the business has changed. Mm. And so it's really prescient that you're talking about this topic because um, with the strike that just happened and the new contract that we've gotten, the consolidation of the studios and the sort of streaming wars that has ended in a... stalemate a draw Mm -hmm. a pyrrhic victory whatever you want to call it um, there seems like they're going to be less opportunities which means they're going to be more no's Mm. and that's no one knows what the future holds but that seems to be what everybody is saying that there are going to be less opportunities and now because there was so much work prior to this there's like three times as four times as many actors vying for the same roles now everything is on a self-tape. So they can see the actors in LA, they can see the actors in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. There's no, there's no sort of um um whittling down, if mm-hmm. you will. So now they see all of these people, and if you don't catch them in the first five, ten seconds, boop, on to the next one, like a damn Tinder profile, yeah. you know, swipe. Mm-hmm. And so things have gotten a lot harder and a lot more difficult. So I would say that the industry has has gotten more complicated and that's how it's changed since I've started. Yeah. Like I feel like the more in my own skin and in my own talent that I am, it's like the harder the industry has gotten. But that's mm. fine. I love a challenge.
0: Are there any challenges that
1: And so I sidebar, I'm so sorry. Yeah, no. Don't forget your question, please. But also then for people of color, mm-hmm. you know, um DEI is now a thing of the past. A lot of you know the efforts that were made toward diversity have kind of fallen by the wayside and there's not that mandate hmm. um, anymore like there used to be. So it's gonna be more challenging, I think, for people of color and marginalized people. We'll see, hopefully not, but um, that's what the tea leaves appear to be saying.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Do you feel a responsibility to create a space for representation.
1: That's so interesting that you ask that because at this particular moment right now as an artist, I'm asking myself what comes after representation Mm -hmm. because I'm so happy to represent and it's very important. But sometimes I have to ask myself as a viewer, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: if the audience isn't showing up for the things that are being made to represent them, then what is next, mm-hmm. does that mean that the audience feels represented and that they don't necessarily have to support every gay movie that comes out, every Black movie that comes out, every whatever? You know, um, Those are the questions that I'm asking as an artist. But I also want to know for myself, where does my art go next mm-hmm. as well? I mean, I think I've always asked that question, um, but I want to further explore it now. Um, so I do feel a responsibility to elevate the conversation about, about, um, representation. Um, I don't know what that looks like yet, but that's yeah. what I'm searching for as an artist. Wow. Yeah.
0: I'll be listening. Thank once you. you it out so I can help spread the word.
1: Thank you. The cool <laughs> thing about the course is that it's really shown me that I'm actually a producer. Yeah. And I have a great producer in me. I was always afraid of producing, mm-hmm. um, cause I don't even like to return my own phone calls, but, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I plan to now use what I've learned promoting this course and building this course to um, produce a project. Yeah, that's
0: what I was thinking when I asked the question. I'm like, are you going to take this opportunity for more kind of production and more like not quite the acting
1: part of things. Yes, I will definitely be acting always. I will be in 70 years old, 80 years old, 90 (laughs) years old with some sides in my back pocket, (laughs) memorizing and working on the material. I will always be an actor. But I do hope to produce something that I get to... You know, my family's from Panama. Mm -hmm. I'm Afro-Latino, right? Mm -hmm. So I never get to play that aspect of my identity. Mm. And I would like to create an opportunity for myself where I do. Yeah. Um, there are lots of you know parts to my identity, and that's just one that I've never gotten to explore on screen, so I would like to.
0: Wow. Yeah. And based on our whole conversation, it seems like playing a character where you can explore that identity yeah. would, would literally be life-changing.
1: I think so, too. <laughs> I know so, actually. Yeah. yeah so that's kind of what I'm working on. Wow. Yeah.
0: Have you ever said no to a role? Or what does a no from all you the in the industry look like? Okay.
1: All the time. I say no all of the time. <laughs> I say no to things that I probably have no business saying no to. I was saying no before I had, you know, um, before I had any sort of resources or credits mm-hmm. that would um that would justify me saying no. Let's see. I say no when I feel like the character's sexuality or race is the primary purpose for them being there. Mm. Um, Jokingly, I say when I came out, I suddenly got a barrage of opportunities to play a white woman's purse and what i mean by that is the white woman's gay black bestie. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with that role. There's nothing wrong with it especially if you can bring something to it, but i felt like i can't go from playing a gay leading man on Council of Dads to i don't i didn't like that story mm-hmm. that it told that this black male actor comes out and now has to play A white woman's purse. And so I didn't like that story. So I I didn't... I I passed on a lot of things Mm -hmm. at that time. Um, I loved what I said yes to, which was Vampire Academy, which was exactly in the story that I'm trying to tell with the characters that I choose. It was a gay, Black vampire who was like the head of the family um, who was kind of running for the king. Mm -hmm. And um, so his sexuality and his race were not the story. His ambition and his, his his political drive for this world was the story. And I loved that. Mm-hmm. And I loved that that was what I did next. Actually, the thing that I did right after Council of Dads was called Generation on HBO Max, where I played one of the parents on a high school show. Mm-hmm. And I played a gay parent who was married. We had a daughter. I liked that story mm-hmm. that was being told. Um. And the disparity in pay was great, but I chose the one that didn't pay so well mm. because I just, I liked the story that it was telling as far as the characters that I've played. Yeah. yeah.
0: I'm glad you're bringing up all of these other um, shows and movies and things that you were in because I was hoping to be able to say this right here. Mm. <laughs> which is, which is you, the characters that you play are so eclectic and really allow you to show different sides of you and your art and your abilities. And I just think that's a testament to like your growth within just all of it. It's just, it's cool to be able to do so many different characters like that. Cause you have to tap into so many different spaces.
1: (laughs) You know, that is the compliment I feel like I lived my entire life for. So thank (laughs) you so much. Thank you. That's, that's, that's what I work toward. That's what every no, Mm -hmm. that's what every yes. Like I said, I say no when I need a job at times because I do think that the roles that you've played tell a story, Mm -hmm. from Roy on The Cosby Show, Vanessa's boyfriend, to the character that I just finished playing on, The Rookie, Mm -hmm. that I did as a recurring role, another gay character. Um, He was a DEA agent, you know, rough and tumble, um, in love with his former partner who died. Um, But there is an arc, Mm -hmm. and I will continue that arc, until I can't continue it anymore, so
0: yeah.
1: and then hopefully the next chapter has a little more of my background, a little more of mm-hmm. you know who I am, and I hope to continue to evolve that story.
0: Yeah. I'm picturing your whole, your whole movie, like through this whole conversation. Oh my so God. Thank you. <laughs> wow. Thank you. When I yeah. was teaching
1: my course live the other day, it did occur to me that it could be a one man show
0: mm-hmm.
1: just told through the jobs that I've done. Cause there's so much of my life yeah. wrapped up in each one of those roles. Mm-hmm. So thank you.
0: Yeah. A theme of the show is about being adaptable to changings, in changing circumstances in life and career and all of that stuff. And I think too, your different roles are also a reflection of your, your success at being adaptable too. Mm. And and I just want the listeners to like, to hear that and and the journey it takes to, to get there.
1: Yeah. Adaptability is, you know, is very important. Obviously you have to be able to adapt to, to who you become Mm -hmm. as time goes on. Mm -hmm. Um, if we get too stuck in an old persona, that's why I think sometimes our lives start to fall apart because we're clinging on to an identity that no longer serves us. Mm-hmm. It's no longer truthful. And I think that, you know, when your friendships start falling off and you're, you know, you can't find a relationship and your work thing is scattering, I think it's really time to go within mm-hmm. and really maybe push away and do some real soul searching, yeah. some solo trips, some journaling um, in that three year period of understanding. Unemployment for me—that was a, a huge soul search. I mean, I threw everything but the chicken s- uh, kitchen sink <laughs> at my at my unhappiness yeah. because I didn't know what was going on. And it was in that same three years that I realized, you know, what I have to actually give it a go as a full-blown gay person because I was kind of tipping and dipping and doing my thing on the side and like you know not being full yeah. and not being able to find a relationship. My work stuff was messing up. And it was all, I think, because I was out of sync, because mm-hmm. I was out of alignment. And it's interesting. And I'm only now kind of realizing that in those three years, that was exactly the change that I made. So when I came out on the other side of those three years, I was living my life as a gay man. Um, I just wasn't telling the people that I worked with about it. So Yeah
0: like a doctor and Jekyll, mr hyde no
1: not that bad it was more like you know it was less like that and more like (laughs) i'm trying to think of a good analogy (laughs) but it was just more like you know don't ask don't tell um let them believe what they want to believe you know because nobody nobody suspected i mean some people say they suspected but no more than they're suspecting any guy that they're in proximity to but you know maybe some people had a better idea than others for various reasons but But it wasn't very difficult, I think, you know, and that was one thing that was kind of scary about the whole thing was that, you know, if you don't, people will, people will um, respond to how present you are. Mm. And if you're not that present, they're not going to go that deep with you. They're going to feel your resistance. And so I think it was keeping me separate from people to a certain degree as well.
0: Okay, I can see that. That makes sense. You know what I mean? I do. I really do. I am Cambria this woman in my life named Cambria because I had told her I feel like I don't even know who I am I'm 29 years old and I'm still learning who I am yes and she was like you know it's not fair to phrase it that way Mm. I think we're we're, we grow she said I think we grow and evolve Mm -hmm. and you're just evolving right now so it's instead of looking at it like who am I what am I doing I don't even know like what's going on anymore look at it as like an opportunity to get to know this new version of yourself. I
1: felt that way at your age as well. Mm -hmm. So I can 100% relate. And I don't beat myself up about not knowing who I was or taking as long as I did. I mean, quote unquote, because I don't think that that was long at all. But, you know, I don't beat myself up for it because life is very confusing. There are a lot of voices... There's a lot of um, indoctrination that goes on in our world. People yeah. don't see it that way, but there is people trying to tell you who to be and how you are. And it takes time to undo that. Yeah. So give yourself grace.
0: Yeah.
1: Give yourself space. Yeah. Give yourself time. Make, be okay with messing up. Mm-hmm. that's another thing I, i'm sorry to keep bringing it back to my course but no, you know don, don Cheadle said something really beautiful to me when we did our live regarding the course he said we all need a space where we can mess up mm-hmm. where we don't feel like our job is at jeopardy or we're going to ruin relationships so give yourself that room yeah. to make mistakes and figure it out
0: mm-hmm. yeah i talk about how in my early 20s when i was still in school i really like to try new things nice and not not anything like you would probably think like different I did aerial, I did like painting, oh, wow. just lots of different <laughs> that kind of thing. Yes. yes. So exactly. I can practice not being good at something when the yes. stakes are low.
1: Right. So exactly. When the stakes
0: are high, like have a reference point. Mm-hmm. I
1: love that. Yeah. I did all those same things. Yeah. My niece was living with me too when she was in her early twenties. And um I watched her go through all the the exact same things I did. She'd come home with all these books with a stack of books. And I was like, What are you doing? She was like, I'm gonna read a different book every week. I went to the library, I got a library card. I'm gonna read a different book. I'm gonna study this. I'm gonna study this, and I'm gonna study this. And I was just thinking, I did that exact same thing at your age. Yeah, but it's just that's the process of finding yeah. yourself. And when you find it, you know, you won't even you won't even know that you were looking for it. I mean, when it just, when you figure it out. And I think we're always figuring yeah. it out. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I'm still figuring things out, mm-hmm. obviously. And um, I think it never ends.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I like how you touched on the power of no from the sense of receiving no's yeah. and the sense of saying no's yeah. and creating your own story and, and what aligns with with the career that you're trying to create. Because yeah. the power of no is more than just being told no. It's, it's the truly, power of saying no. Too. Truly.
1: You know why? Because no creates a boundary. Mm-hmm. And boundaries are very important. It's interesting because when you, when you don't have boundaries, they say your throat chakra is weak. Mm -hmm. And it's because we create boundaries with our voice. And so no is a large part of that. In my course, it's called Being a Series Regular. You can find it at www.beingaseriesregular.com. I do an entire section on advocating for yourself. Mm. Because one of the mistakes people make is they think, oh, now I'm a serious regular. Everybody's going to treat me great. My life is going to change. I'm going to have no more problems. But no, you are still going to find yourself in situations where you might feel slighted, disrespected, maybe taken advantage of, or maybe even worst case scenario, abused in some way. Um, And you have to know the, the rights that you have as a worker, but also as a human being. And um, I've done it. I've seen other people do it totally allow ourselves to be mistreated when we didn't have to. Mm. And so that is one of the huge um, core principles of my course is teaching people how to advocate for their point of view as an artist, their point of view for the character, um, as well as their point of view, or just as well as their autonomy as a human being and the things that you know we don't have to put up with. One thing that I really wanna normalize with actors is speaking out in the moment. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of actors make the mistake of letting the show get canceled, the show's over. Now I want to say something on social media. The only thing that's going to happen is you're going to embarrass the other person, but you're not going to get that justice that you're looking for. It is imperative in that moment to have the strength. And listen, it's something that we all wrestle with. Ding, ding, ding. I have done it. I've been in the situation where I've been violated yeah. and didn't say anything in a not in a sexual way or in a physical way, but I didn't say anything because mm-hmm. I was afraid. Yeah. But I want actors to know that when you're on the job. This is when you have your leverage to get the justice that you're looking for, to get maybe some resolution rather than go on for your entire life and constantly beat yourself up about not saying something. I want to give actors the empowerment to speak up about things so that we don't get to situations where we are being abused in a way that is very, you know, hard to mend.
0: Wow, I mean, I want to take your (laughs) court. <laughs> I'm not even. You should remarket it for uh, just everybody. <laughs> you know what's so
1: funny? That's the number one comment I get. That is the number one. I get people saying to me, mm-hmm. "You could be talking about my industry if you just changed a few <laughs> yeah. of the words."
0: Yeah. Yeah. You really could. Yeah. um Okay, so I want to end on some advice slogans, and at first. I want to mm. hear the worst advice you've ever given. I mean, no, no, no. I mean, the received. worst advice
1: I was ever given?
0: Yeah, that you were ever given.
1: Wow, that is so, that's such a good question. I wish we could start with the other one because that was so easy. That's <laughs> that's right off the top of my head, the best advice on my slogan. But the worst advice I've ever been given. Um, the worst, ah, the worst advice. I think I've ever been given that came from a good place, though, was, you know, and I don't know if this is bad advice, but anyway, somebody once told (laughs) me that as an actor, I should present myself as tofu walking through the world. (laughs) Tofu takes on the flavor of whatever dish it's put in. I should essentially market myself as an empty slate with no sort of, you know, um, Identifying characteristics mm. that could be great advice could be I think the world has moved and changed a little bit and I think that my calling is asking me to to embrace mm. my identity and so it's probably great advice for someone but for me in my journey uh, I think it's necessary for me to embrace my identity and then we'll see what comes of it
0: mm-hmm. yeah. I can see where, yeah, I can see where the advice was trying to go, yeah, but I think <laughs> yeah, but I think it's it's <laughs> your the route you're taking of embracing yourself is much better and And, in the journey of embracing yourself, you're able to connect and collaborate with other people like a tofu, but in right. a way where you're still owning your part.
1: Right. But I was talking to somebody about <laughs> it, and um the person when I told the person the advice, they said, "What do you think about that advice?" I said, "You know, some people can be tofu, but some <laughs> some people have so much flavor that they change the entire dish." <laughs> So some people might need to soak up the dish. Some people change the entire recipe. And that's who I want to be. That's who I am.
0: Yeah. 100%. Okay, so now here's the other question. What was the best advice that you've ever gotten and why?
1: The best advice I've ever gotten is advice that I gave to myself. Mm. And the best advice I ever have, and this is my motto in life, it is never too early or too late to start or finish anything. Mm. That's my advice. I like that. Never too early or too late to start or finish anything.
0: Yeah. That's really good advice. Thank you. So where can people find you? List your website again. Anything you want to share or promote. Yeah. This is the time for that.
1: Great. So you can find me at J August Richards. That's the letter J, August like the month, Richards at um, on Instagram, on TikTok, on Twitter, on Facebook, official J August Richards on Facebook. And then my course is at www.beingaseriesregular.com and that's where they can find me.
0: Awesome. Thank yeah. you so much for so this. So great talking to you Kenya. What a pleasure. So thank you for being here. High
1: praise. Thank you, Kendra. Thank you for asking me to do this. And I'm so glad I said yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Follow and subscribe to the Thank You For Saying No podcast. And you'll get every episode as soon as it's released.